Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. Super excited to be here today with Michelle Farborough. She is the recent Chief Marketing Officer of Harry and David, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with Harry and David. They were an internet retailer, Hot 100, huge online retailer. And in fact, Michelle has spent her career working in transformation of the retail industry. So I'm really excited to talk to her about her experiences in that space. She's been widely recognized for her leadership in this area. She was named one of the top women in retail in 2019 by Total Retail. She was named by the San Francisco Business Times as one of the most influential women in business. Super awesome person, very knowledgeable. I'm sure there's going to be so many things she's going to, be to tell us about. So please join me in welcoming Michelle Farber. Hey, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Anything you want to add by way of introduction of yourself for the audience before we dive in? Well, I think, you know, retail is an exciting industry and digital is really exciting. If you think about the retail industry and all of the roles within a retail organization, marketing is the one that has changed the most dramatically over the last 10 years and will continue at that pace as we go forward. It's really the leader in companies when it comes to capital expenditures and leading the strategic direction of where retailers need to evolve to and transform to stay relevant to today's consumer. Yeah, very interesting. When you say marketing, you mean both marketing of the online experience as well as the physical in-store experience, is that right? Everything from branding to every touch point within that customer journey, and that touches both in-store as well as online, both print marketing as well as digital marketing. And all of those worlds are really coming together in today's environment where the pandemic has pushed the evolution of that a good five years over the past year where companies that were prepared for digital really were able to reap the benefits and it wasn't as painful to go through the pandemic. Those that weren't equipped and ready really felt that pain to be able to change their whole business model to serve that customer in a time where you didn't have time on your side. Yeah. Any specific examples of that? Because I absolutely think that's true. Or anything you've been involved in where you saw either the benefit of preparedness and being able to make that quick switch or the challenges of not being able to switch as fast as you wanted to when the pandemic hit. Yeah, great examples are, especially in the food industry, Heron David was one of those ones that had already gone through a digital transformation, came from the print world, heavily reliant on the call center, and had invested heavily in the digital resources, both the online experience as well as that marketing and delivery. So they were easily able to handle the uptick in volume during that time. Companies that didn't have that, that suddenly wanted to do order online, pick up in store, that was really challenging. They weren't ready for that UX experience, so the customer wasn't easily able to go in and see what inventory was in the local store. And that local store really wasn't equipped to be able to pick that inventory, interact with the customer through that journey and deliver that. I remember at one point during the pandemic, I was trying to get some arts and crafts supplies and I knew exactly what I needed. I even knew the store had it. I bought it there before. I couldn't find it online to save my life. And I called the store to say, can you help me? And they said, well, 
we can't pick it unless you order it online. And we got to the point where I said, just give me the SKU number and I'll order it. But that's not a customer experience that you want anyone to have. And that's not scalable. In this world, we need to be designing solutions that are scalable with the business and scalable with the consumer needs. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned print earlier. I'm interested in diving in a little bit on that because many people may feel like, when am I going to stop getting Bed Bath & Beyond postcards in my mailbox every single day? I mean, in the digital world, are we seeing the death of print or does print actually play a role for the foreseeable future in the world of marketing in a digital age? Well, I will admit I've been in the industry about three decades. So I started in the print world. It's near and dear to my heart. But with that said, print will always have a role. And there will always be people in the industry, and there have been for 20 years, that say print is going away. Print has a role, but print's role is definitely changing as marketing evolves and as the consumer expectations evolve. So your Bed Bath & Beyond example is a great one. We still see coupons in the mail, not as frequently as you used to, but you can also go online, sign up for a membership, and be able to have almost a wallet with Bed Bath & Beyond so that you can have everything right there at your fingertips. So even Bed Bath & Beyond is evolving as they're going through their transformation and remaking of Bed Bath & Beyond and who they are to the consumer. When you think about print, print used to be a vehicle just for sales. Everything that you wanted to sell had to be on that page. That's not the case today. Today, the case is really print being a driver to the e-commerce site. So suddenly, it's a teaser. It's a way to communicate your brand story, your positioning, and some of your best sellers and categories to drive them online, where suddenly you have endless pages. You can tell far more stories and information about what that product is, how it's different from other products, and why that consumer might want to purchase it. You can have different colors, different views of that item. So it really starts to answer all of those questions. If you think about the Sears wish book, now I know I'm dating myself. Everyone looked for that wish book at Christmas, especially kids. You had these giant catalogs, and that's not the case now. You can have much smaller catalogs. Direct mail is becoming more and more relevant. So really small pieces that are just activating that customer to go online to experience it. You're also using digital cues to determine who should receive those pieces and what they should be like. So we talk a lot about personalization online. We want that experience to be as relevant to the customer as possible. What are you looking for? What are you interested in? That's the same thing with print now. We can take those digital cues. You've now raised your hand. You may be a prospect. You may be a customer saying, I'm interested now in something from your brand to be able to retarget. And that's where different departments really need to coordinate now. It's not as simple as I run email and I'm going to send my emails at my cadence and as I see fit and someone else runs print and they're going to do their communication as they see fit. But to really coordinate that whole CRM strategy. So as someone comes online and raises their hand and says, I'm interested, email can retarget that person and say, hey, we saw you're interested in this. Come back. Here's some other products you may be interested in. And give that a day or two. If they haven't immediately come back and started to transact, then follow that up with direct mail. Direct mail will always have some of the highest response rates and especially retargeted direct mail. But it's also one of your costlier marketing initiatives. 
So if you can easily bring someone back quickly with digital, then you don't always have to follow up with the direct mail piece. So it definitely has a role. It's just an evolving role in today's environment. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I've seen that's exciting about direct mail is because of the opportunity to custom print things when you include personal URLs, then you have this opportunity to see who actually even went online, who engaged. Because in the old days, when we talk about a response rate, we could only really measure the people who actually bought. I have to admit, the worst day for a marketer to send me direct mail is on a Tuesday or a Friday. Do you know why? No. Because those are garbage pickup days. And so when I go to the mailbox on Tuesday or Friday, the empty garbage cans are right there next to the mailbox, having already just been emptied by the garbage men. So they're ready to be filled up again. So I literally, on those days, I take stuff out of the mailbox and I go, garbage, 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 with the garbage can right next to me. So a tip for anyone who wants to personalize marketing to me, avoid Tuesdays and Fridays, because at least it's a little harder for me to get to the garbage can. But in all seriousness, the opportunity to know that that person was interested enough to check out the URL, to look at the web, even if they don't buy, obviously that gives you more signals than in a traditional direct mail where you don't really know if they spent an hour looking at the brochure and then kind of deciding not to order, or they were like me and they just looked at the envelope, never even opened it and dumped it right in the trash, in which case in a perfect world, that's probably someone you maybe don't want to send direct mail to the next time because obviously you're not getting very far. That's absolutely the case. Now, now watch, having said that, Google will flag me and I'll never get any more direct mail on Tuesdays and Fridays. But maybe that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, avoid garbage day for direct mail. I'm sure that there's a data source somewhere of when everybody's garbage day is. I don't know. My town, it's a PDF that comes out once a year. So I don't know if that's available. So I love you to Winning digital customers, the antidote to irrelevance has been called the must-have guide to saving your company and is available now for Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books or in hardcover. Visit wdc.ht slash order to get your copy today. So I'd love you to talk a little more about Heron David and the digital transformation that you drove there, kind of from when you arrived to where you're able to get to. And I know in particular, I think that's a fascinating example because it's a, such a, like a storied legacy company that's been around for so long. And I know having worked with a lot, I haven't worked with Heron David, but worked with a lot of companies like that. I want to let you tell the story, but there are challenges very often when you're trying to get a company that's had so much past success doing things the old way to create the burning platform and drive true transformation. I'll give you a few examples. Heron David right. was my most recent one, and that's one that came from a steeped history in print. The business is 85 years old, so it's been around for a long time. Everyone loved print. They were used to print. It's what drove customers in the past. So to go through that digital transformation is more than just saying, we're going to reallocate some of our marketing dollars from print to digital. It means all of your technology has to support that evolution. So really building a new website, thinking about mobile first, as more than half of our customers are now shopping with their mobile phones. So it's not as simple as, oh, we'll just have a dynamic website that can adjust for mobile. It's really thinking mobile first, even from your planning and your organizational structure. The digital assets that you need for digital versus print marketing is very, very different. As you think about the timing of that planning, that's very different. When you come from a print world, you've always been used to planning a year, six months in advance because you have to shoot that. 
you have to lay it out, send it to the printer. It takes weeks to mail. It's a very long planning cycle. When you're working with the e-commerce team and the digital team, they're used to saying, hey, this isn't working. Let's change this asset in the next hour and relaunch it. And the type of asset, the format of that asset is very, very different. I talked earlier about being able to go online and seeing different views of a product, different information about that product. You don't do that when it comes to print. You shoot for that one great shot and that's it. Mm -hmm. When you're done, you're done. So getting your team to really think ahead and think about all the touch points in the customer journey and what assets you'll need for that and really planning it up front, especially if you have to have a lot of samples and inventory and inventory that could go bad. It's really critical that you have all of that information up front leverage your time with your stylist and your photographer so that you can get as many of those shots and be prepared for the fast pace of digital that you don't have in print. Prior to that, I took Bevmo Beverages and More if you're on the West Coast. You know them as the largest alcohol retailer on the West Coast. That company was very retail store focused. All of the energy went into the retail stores. Most of the sales went into the retail stores, and rightly so. Alcohol is a challenge to be able to ship, to make sure someone's there to receive it, to sign, and be over 21. When I took that company through a digital transformation, it was really in hindsight now. You can see preparing for things like a pandemic where people wanted to order online and pick up in store. But as we went through that, process-wise, operationally, that was a very different operation than what the company had been through in the past. And every retailer that's gone through order online, pick up and store and seen it explode has gone through these same challenges. So working with the store operations team on training and how you pick this inventory that's already paid for and not incur shrink to have it available and accessible for when that customer comes in so you can easily find it. It's not supposed to take 20 minutes to find a, a buy online, pick up and store order. When you see companies like Bevmo, they didn't have the amount of space. It used to be, oh, we store the product behind the counter. That's fine when you have a few orders and suddenly it's a cage and suddenly it's part of the store. In the case of Target, they're building out entire portions of their store for order online, pick up in store, being able to deliver to the curb. So part of that is really understanding the customer and the customer needs. Customer needs and technology being able to serve that has really been the driver over the past decade of why marketing has evolved so quickly. So really focusing on research. And when I say research, there are lots of kinds of research you can do. You can do qualitative, you can do quantitative. And I know a lot of companies say, well, we don't have a research department. We don't have a research budget. One of the easiest forms of research you can do is called listening. Go to your call center, go to your support center, everyone has one, and listen to the calls. Because those are the calls really telling you where the opportunities are. What are the challenges? What are the frustrations, the friction points? What are they looking for that the company hasn't given them? Then you can follow that up with focus groups and quantitative studies that are really simple and easy to do now. They're fast, much easier than they used to be. You can do them online and get results back in a very short amount of time. But leveraging that information and any analytical insights you have on your customer can really lead to opportunities. 
during the pandemic, those that were on top of their data and really looking at it, we quickly realized in the case of apparel, for instance, tops were selling, well outselling the normal trend and bottoms were way underperforming. So if you saw that early on, you would adjust your inventory and your supply chain because you realize everyone's on Zoom, so we all needed Zoom shirts and Zoom tops. We could still wear the same yoga pants the entire time and no one would know the difference. So understanding those trends quickly really allow you to lean into it. Yeah. And as you go through a digital transformation, I would say look closely at that purchasing behavior and look at different types of customers. Look at your customers that are still purchasing in-store versus online. Look at the customers that are purchasing over the phone versus online. You will see differences in trends, both from existing customers as well as new customers. When you have endless aisles and endless pages, that presents a lot of opportunity for customers to find product they may not have found before because now they're actually searching and they're looking for things. You're able to tell a story and see what they're looking at, recommend other items. So that behavior quickly changes. And in many cases, that can present opportunities for category expansion, new categories to be launched, even brand new businesses to be created, really centered around what that customer is looking for and how they're engaging what they're buying with your company. So it's an exciting time as we learn more. And I would say in this digital world, we know more about our customers than we have ever known in the past. Yeah. I love that topic of really rethinking even what you're selling in the digital space. We had the chief marketing officer of Igloo Cooler on here, I think it was last season, and he was talking about how there's all kinds of products that they sell now on their website that they never could have really made successful in retail for one reason or another. They're too big for the shelf space, too niche. So no Walmart wants a, a branded cooler of a very niche rock band because what are the odds that the person walking down the aisle wants that? But if it's on the website and then they advertise it on Facebook, targeted at people who are interested in that band, they sell a ton of them. So this whole idea that it's not just about taking what you sell and putting it online, but it can potentially completely change your merchandising assortment. I think that's really fascinating. Are there particular categories that you think become more appealing in a digital world? And are there any categories that suffer that actually do better in physical retail stores that are harder to sell online? Well, there are always categories that are harder to sell online, something that you want to touch and feel and try on. And that's why so much apparel has always gone through retail stores and physical stores. But as we talk about that right now, a lot of the creation and technology is going into virtual dressing rooms. So now you can see my body, my shape, and I can try that on. I, you know, I laugh. I'm the perfect example because I'm six foot, so I'm tall. I always have to look at the height and the length of anything. So to be able to try it on and say, oh, this dress is long enough, these pants are long enough, that's a great opportunity. You still have the challenge of tactile. You still can't feel the hand of that garment. So that's always a bit of a challenge. And that's where branding comes into play. Consistency comes into play so that if you know a retailer, you know a brand, you know their quality, you know their consistency. And as a company, really looking at your policies. So what guarantees are you giving the customers so that they really feel confident in being able to return that item for free? If they don't want it, sort of no questions asked, that's okay, you can send it back. That's part of doing business on the internet. Items and categories, like you say, Igloo's a great example. 
anything that has a large cube that's really hard to display, that's a great opportunity to be able to market that online. Really niche products. There are lots of websites where you can create niche categories or even niche URLs so that you're going after that specific market. It might be tiny, but the question is, how served is it? If it's an underserved market, that's the perfect opportunity for you to be able to go after. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And I'm curious, in the process of doing these kinds of transformations, have you pretty much found their smooth sailing? Like once you point out the opportunity, the company's like, Michelle, you are so right. Here is unlimited funds and we are 100% behind you. Or have there been any challenges or resistance to moving in this direction? If there's a company out there that instantly says, this is great, here's unlimited funds, I'd like to meet them. <laughs> I think, you know, one of my philosophies I have is fail fast. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, but you have to take calculated risks. They can't just be willy-nilly. So you really have to make sure it's thought through, but not everything will work for sure. As part of a transformation, not only do you have to sell the management team on it because that's who writes the check to say, I need the funds to do this. One thing I tell everyone as you're testing, make sure you define success beforehand. There's a whole mental state that no one wants to fail. It's not in our DNA to want to fail. So if you don't set what success is in that measurement before you go into it, people have the tendency to look at something and say, oh, well, if I look at it this way, it was a success. It might be better than it was in that area, but that doesn't always meet your definition of success. So clearly outlining that is great. Also, you have to bring the entire organization with you. You can't go through a digital transformation without going through a cultural transformation. You really have to bring the organization with you. And I think communication is key. Education is key. So really talking about the process you went through. So as I talked about doing research, communicate and share what that research was, what the learnings were, what the customer feedback and insight is, some of the analytics that drove you to that decision. And then also the role that everyone plays in it. It's not that marketing changes. Marketing doesn't change in a bubble. The strategic direction and vision of the company doesn't change in a bubble. Everyone's involved in that from merchandising to supply chain to your operations and fulfillment. Everyone along that chain has to be part of it. So to educate the employee as well as the customer, to be able to really tell each area and each person what their role is in that transformation, that's critical. And then you have to celebrate the small wins. The game and business is not won through home runs. It's won through singles and doubles. You might get really lucky and hit an occasional triple, but it's really singles and doubles. So you can build a lot of momentum by celebrating and highlighting and recognizing the people and the actions that created those wins because that builds momentum and all of those wins start to add up. And that's when you get the momentum of an entire organization behind a transformation. And those are the businesses that you see really succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find sometimes no matter what you do, there are some people you can't pull along? There always will be. You hate to say it, but it's almost a cancer. And you have to watch out for those people. Some of them that you can bring them along, it just takes more one-on-one -on -one coaching and time and explaining. 
and hearing them out because a lot of them are devil's advocates. So they want to point out a little bit of the negative of everything. If you have someone that you still can't pull along, unfortunately, you have to make one of the toughest decisions you make in business. And that's to really change that person out because they will drag that team down. They will drag the organization down. So you don't need everyone to come along at the same pace. You would love that if everyone said, sign me up. I'm here. I'm with you. But you don't have that. You have people that go at different paces. But the laggards that never want to come are the ones that really need to find a new opportunity for your organization to fully succeed. Yeah, well, I love that. You want to do your best. You don't want to give up prematurely on somebody, but also know that sometimes you got to make a call. It reminds me of an exercise we do sometimes in workshops. I don't know if you're familiar with Edward de Bono, but he created this concept called the six hats, which all it really is is a model of different people's personalities when it comes to problem solving. And so, for example, you have the wild-eyed optimist that thinks everything is sure to work. And then you've got the pessimist or the person who's always trying to see where the problems might lie. And very often, as you said, that's the person who's resisting. And so one of the exercises we'll do is we'll introduce this idea and we'll have people self-identify. And people usually correctly self-identify, especially because the way this model presents it, none of them are bad. You need the sort of critical eye people and you need the inspiring, optimistic people. And usually if you present it in a non-judgmental way, people will correctly say, well, yeah, I'm the guy who's usually looking for how could this fail and all that. And then each one is a hat. So people wear the color of their thing, right? Like if red is the critical pessimist. And then what you do is you ask people to trade. And you say, you person who's the optimist, we want you to experiment with being the critical thinker who's really looking for all the problems. And the person who's always seeing the problems, you take a turn at thinking about it, you know, and I find sometimes, not always, those people are thrilled to give the opportunity to play that role. And they just feel if nobody else is being the devil's advocate, then it's their job and they don't even like it. But if they see that someone else is being the devil's advocate, then they get to have the fun of being the one who's enthusiastic about something. So I'm not saying that works in every case, but you just made me think of that exercise. But I've seen some really magical transformations sometimes in people when they're all of a sudden given permission to step outside that role by someone else playing it and being told, you be the optimist. So anyway, your mileage may vary, but it's something we've done and had a lot of fun with. Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. Yeah. uh, Another exercise I do I'm going through right now with the team is creating and building an optimally performing team. And You can do that by asking three really simple but thoughtful questions. They're thought-provoking for sure. What roles and responsibilities make you perform at your best? Which ones are a drag? Because in many cases, it can be something that you're really good at, but it's a drag on you. You really hate doing that. And what motivates you to perform your best? Because at the end of the day, we want everyone to be their best because that's going to make our team and our organization the best as we go through that. And so it's really insightful for people to think about that and then to also recognize it because people do end up being put in roles that may be a drag on them, especially as you're going through a transformation. The roles are transforming. We talked about just planning and timing and some of the needs that you have. People don't know digital. None of us are born knowing anything. So you've learned as you went through university, you learned as you started your career, but now many of us have been in our career for years or decades. So as you go through that digital transformation, 
how you communicate with the customer, how you take assets, how you write the format of things, how you drive response. Those things are all changing. So you have to make sure that you're either hiring that subject matter expert or you're training for it. And I think there's a lot of opportunity that people miss in training the associates you have. Some will have the aptitude, some won't have the aptitude. Some really have the desire because it's something new. They're a learner by nature, and they're really excited for the opportunity to learn something new to add to their portfolio of skill sets. So you have to be thoughtful about that. There are lots of online programs that you can sign up for. There can be others in the house. You hear a lot about lunch and learns. Lunch and learns can be incredibly effective. You can also send them out to conferences and things. So don't ignore the value and the importance of that training because we are asking people to do sort of the same job they had in the past, but in a very different way. And if you don't support them, they will feel frustrated. They will feel like they failed and you could end up losing someone that's really great and valuable to your team. Yeah, I love that model and I want to restate it for everybody. So tell me if I've got this right. You know, when we're asking people to transform, of course, we know that for some people that can be scary and they resist and all that. But then when you can help them see by looking at what is it that they really love to do and also what is it that they don't love so much about their job, that there's a potential for their job to move in a direction that is actually better for them. And when you're going through transformation, not everyone who has job A has to automatically transform to job B. You know, there are different directions that people can go. Tell us those three things again, the three questions, because I love them. One was about a drag and one was about just around repeating that. I think that's really so awesome. Think about roles and responsibilities. What roles and responsibilities make you perform at your best every day? What roles and responsibilities are a drag on you being your best? And what motivates you to be your best? Because everyone is motivated in very different ways. So understanding three simple questions and really having people think about them. It's great for the individuals filling it out, really thinking about that, but it's great for the supervisor to really understand that so that you're putting people in the position so they can be their best every day. And at the end of the day, I mean, think about yourself. What do you want to be? You want to be your best every day. There's no question about that. I sure do. Well, what an inspiring note to end on. That was fantastic, Michelle. I really enjoyed that. And really, I never heard that model before. It really lights me up. As soon as you said it, it's got my mind spinning. Reviewing contracts, man. If I could just get out of that. Exactly. I hate that. Rosaline Glickman wrote a whole book on optimal thinking and teams. And so she has a lot of great insights if you ever try to get her book and read that. Awesome. I will. I'll check it out. Let's take a moment now. Can you tell us a little bit about, I know some of it's maybe still top secret. Anything you can share about what you're doing now? Because I know you're doing exciting new stuff. I am. So now I am working on transforming an entire industry that has largely remained unchanged in about a century. So it's really exciting. Can't tell you about it yet. You're just going to have to have me on again so I can do another podcast about transforming an industry. But if you want to find out more or follow me, just go to LinkedIn. You can find me, Michelle Fairbaugh. Well, definitely follow Michelle because there's some exciting news coming. I was hoping we could break it on this show, but I guess not. She'll probably wind up on like 2020 or something to break it. So she won't do it on our show. But maybe after that, we'll get you back. That would be great. I'd love to hear about the exciting new stuff that you're working on when you're ready to come out of stealth mode and take over the world. That sounds great. Thank you, Howard. Thanks again for being with us, Michelle. And thanks to all of you, as always for watching and listening 
another episode of the Winning Digital Customer Show. Keep transforming and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.